0: If you've been with us for the past couple weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at the Gospels, and we've been looking at it through an interesting grid. Uh, One week we look at uh, the rejected of Jesus' society and how He interacted with them, and then another week we're looking at the religious of Jesus' society and how Jesus interacted with them. It's been a really interesting study. But I think it's safe to say that as we read the Gospels, I think we find a Jesus who uh, is often surprising. I think we have a cultural perception of of who Jesus is. Uh, We sometimes think that he's meek and mild in a way that makes him sort of a a, a doormat or a pushover. Uh, Sometimes we picture him as one who's desperate to be in relationship with his people, kind of like that unpopular kid who wants somebody to sit with them at the lunch table but is there alone. But I think that when we come to the Gospels, we see a Jesus who is very different than often we think, different than our cultural uh, perceptions. Of course, He is meek and gentle at times, and of course, He does long to be in a relationship with us. But one of the things we also see is that Jesus was not afraid to declare the truth, and sometimes that was even in force. Uh, He wasn't afraid to break through the cultural perceptions and the cultural norms of his day. He wasn't afraid to take on the most powerful in his culture with the truth of God. He wasn't even afraid at times to speak words of very intense judgment. But what's also surprising about his words of judgment is the audience in which they were directed at. And so Jesus' words of judgment were not always directed at those the culture deemed to be sinful. Instead, what we find is that those words of judgment were often reserved for the most religious of Jesus' day. And that should make us wonder a little bit or scratch our heads as we think about our own lives, because today we have a tendency in religious circles to often condemn the sin that is in the world all around us. And there is a place and a time for all of that. But if Jesus were to arrive today, as he did back then, maybe his harshest words would not be reserved for the world outside of us. Maybe they would be reserved for the most religious, just like they were in his day. So this morning I want to read Matthew 23, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's a long section. So we're going to, we're going to read through it, um, uh, but it's also a very harsh section. So despite it being long, I want us to really pay attention to uh, just the, the, the level of judgment that is coming out of the words of Jesus, and maybe you'll be uh, surprised by his words as well. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew 23, uh, verses 1 to 36. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others." But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth." From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Whew. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word. Speak to us through this intense passage that we're looking at now. Help us to see not only what it meant in Christ's day when he said these words initially, but also what they mean for us today, not just our culture, but our own lives and our own hearts and our own church community. So be with us as we meditate on your word now. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, there was a book that was written that, that immediately grabbed my attention because of the title, uh, and the book was called Too Christian, Too Pagan. And at the end of the day, it wasn't a really great book. I can't really recommend it, but the premise, at least, was pretty interesting to me, which is why I picked it up and read it. And it essentially said this. It said, if you look at Jesus' life, you will realize that he really made everyone feel uncomfortable. Everyone felt uncomfortable in the presence of Jesus. Uh, He made the sinner uncomfortable because he wasn't afraid to uh, confront the sinner within their sin. Uh, just think of John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. But he also made the religious people very uncomfortable as well. He made them uncomfortable because he showed a propensity to be willing to hang out with unclean people and sinners, but he also made them uncomfortable because he wasn't afraid to attack their empty religiosity. And that is really what Jesus is attacking in full force in this passage this morning, empty religiosity. You see, it isn't like religion itself is necessarily a bad thing. We could talk about that for a long time, but when the Spirit of God God has left the room, what we are left with is empty religion, and often empty religion quickly becomes very, very corrupt. That's what we see in our passage this morning. I want to see a few things about uh, what Jesus has to say here about empty religion. And the first thing is this, that empty religion lives for adulation. It lives for adulation. Jesus says this about the religious people of his day. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. You see, when Jesus is speaking these words, his audience were a group called the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, his disciples were there. They were obviously making note of what Jesus is saying here, but his main target with his words were the scribes and the Pharisees, and these were the religious professionals of Jesus' day. Uh, they were experts in the religious law of their day, and because of that, they were greatly esteemed in their own Jewish society. And for what we can gather, they really liked being esteemed by the world that was around them they dress in certain ways. That's what these phylacteries and these fringes uh, are really all about. Uh, They would dress in certain ways. They would be the honored guests at everyone's feast. They would get the place of honor if they showed up, and they loved it. Uh, They soaked it in. They lived for the adulation of the culture that was around them. Now, our culture today is a little different. Uh, We don't tend to esteem uh, religious professionals in our culture, Uh, But we do have a propensity in our culture uh, to chase after uh, fame and adulation and sometimes even uh, famous people. In fact, if you listen very closely uh, to the most famous people in our culture, I think if you listen very closely, you'll realize that they wind up feeling trapped by the world of fame that they live in. What I mean by that is they feel the pressure to constantly stay in the spotlight or to somehow stay trending on social media because they have to stay relevant to the world that is around them, but it winds up making them feel trapped. And that's because approval, uh, things like approval and adulation, they can become a drug that constantly forces us to continue looking for the next high, but like any other addiction, it is slowly killing them. But that, of course, isn't true of just entertainers and sports figures. We all, all of us, have tasted that drug of adulation from time to time, and it does things to us. It makes us want to pursue other people's approval at all costs. It makes us uh, live lives that might be dependent on social media likes or, or it perpetually locks us into the pursuit of the next job promotion or presenting our life for others on social media as being the perfect life. But at the end of the day, we can become very lost in all of it. Our identity can become fully dependent on the adulation of others. And so when the crowd stops cheering, we have no clue who we are anymore. And we've been lost in the misery of all of it. Friends, Jesus says this sort of living blinds us. We're going to look at that in a moment. It blinds us, but also it has no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus even says that here. He says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so what we learn is that the kingdom of God finds joy in what one pastor calls, finds joy in self-forgetfulness. And that, of course, is modeled by Jesus himself, who the scriptures tell us, for the joy set before him endured the cross. But empty religion forgets all of this. It gets lost in the pursuit of adulation. What we also see here is that that empty religion ignores the oppressed. That's really all throughout this passage. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You see, this really becomes the, con- the consequence of the first point. The more we focus on ourselves and our own adulation, the more we just simply ignore the needs of others around us, specifically the poor and oppressed who are around us. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't really tell us the context of Jesus' words here, um, but the other two Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Mark and Luke, tell us the occasion of Jesus's words here. It tells us that Jesus is in the temple and he's got his disciples all around him and of course uh, the wealthy and the, uh, the religious are there as well. And what the story tells us is that a poor widow comes into the temple and gives two copper coins as her tithe to the temple. Uh, it tells us that rich person after rich person come in, and they give their tithe, and yet this poor woman comes in and gives all that she can to the worship of God. And in many ways, he, Jesus is making a comparison here between those who, uh, whose religion gives them an opportunity to be ostentatious and showy in their giving. But what Jesus says is that the hero of this story is the woman, The villains are the religious who ignore people like this woman, the poor and the widowed, the oppressed, that are all around them. So Jesus is making a comparison as he says these words to the religious. In fact, if you go all the way to the book of James, it tells us this, that religion that is pure, not empty religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, friends, we don't have to look far to know that there is no shortage of poor and oppressed in our culture, in our midst. True religion is what Jesus is saying here. True religion is religion that gets his hands dirty in the service of others. But empty religion ignores the needs of the poor and oppressed that are around us. Howard uh, Thurman is a a historian, I think. Uh, He's a a historian who writes about uh, the South and what life was like uh, in the South during the Civil War era and before the Civil War era. Particularly, he examines the sort of veneer of religion that was true of the South that tended to allow slavery and not think uh, anything really of it. And so he talks about that veneer of religion and the culture of all those things But what he also uh, points out is that many of the the Negro spirituals of that time were protest songs. They were songs of protest against the world uh, that was around them. And and one of those songs said this. It said, I got shoes, you got shoes, all God's chillin' got shoes. When we get to heaven, we're going to put on our shoes and shout all over God's heaven. So that was the song, but there was two lines at the end of that song, and Thurman writes that before the next two lines, the slaves, who many times didn't have shoes themselves, nor did they have uh, any sort of freedom to shout or to walk all over God's earth, before they sang these last two songs, they would look up at the big house where the master lived, and they would sing these words, but everyone talking about heaven ain't going there. And that really is precisely Jesus' point in this passage. Those who are talking the most about heaven aren't going there. Verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And so empty religion lives for adulation. Empty religion ignores the oppressed. But also, empty religion is hypocritical. I think if you were paying attention, you heard Jesus repeat this in the passage seven times. He repeats that in this passage because he realizes that empty religion makes us concerned purely with appearances. We want to, to clean the outside and appear righteous before everyone who is watching, but we pay very little attention to the true characters, uh, to, to the true character of our own hearts. Now I'm convinced, uh, those of you with families or from families, I'm convinced that God places children in our lives to reveal to us just how hypocritical we are. All right? And if you don't have kids, you can at least remember being a kid, right? So if you don't have kids, you know what it's like to be in a family. And if you grew up with any sort of religion or going to church, you know exactly about what I'm about to say. And that is that I'm convinced that the time of the week where fights are most likely to happen within a family are what? They are on Sunday mornings before you go to church, right? Right. And so what do we do? We yell, we scream, we threaten, we fight, and then we walk through the doors of the church and we worship Jesus, right? Isn't this what we do? And, and we feel that there is a disconnect, don't we? We feel that there's a, a hypocritical disconnect between the mer- words of our mouth that we engage in when we're at worship and the reality and the conduct of our lives, And so what does Jesus do? Jesus calls them, and he calls us, whitewashed tombs, right? He says, the gravestone is beautiful. It's well-maintained. The gravestone might have a nice quote on it. There might be flowers, but underneath the surface is rotting and decaying flesh. That's how Jesus is describing the religious community of his day. Friends, I think this this is why confession is so important in the context of a worship service, and it's why we do it at the very beginning of a worship service, and it's why it's important for the whole life of a believer, because we all have the tendency to become so consumed with looking righteous— that we never truly take stock of our own hearts. We, we live for the show, but behind the stage, everything feels like it's crumbling. And so, what does confession do? It helps us to own up to our own hypocrisy. And so, anytime we say one thing and do another, we're hypocrites. Anytime we claim allegiance to Christ but live according to the pattern of this world, we are hypocrites. And so Jesus has one final thing to say about empty religion. He says this, empty religion suffers from blindness. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites seven times, but he also calls them blind five times, because not only are they blind to the true condition of their souls, but they're leading others in their blindness. They're blind to what's really going on in their hearts. They're blind to the Savior and Redeemer who is standing right in front of them when He says these words. And instead of realizing their own profound need for Him, all they want to do is win the religious argument and appear religious in front of everyone else. And so they've become blind and they lead others in their blindness. And so I think, friends, the warning uh, for all of this is clear, because we can all fall into the same empty religion that Jesus was confronting in His day. In fact, I think this is important. In fact, if you look at this list and you only think about others who may need to hear these words of confrontation if you look at Jesus and only stand in the seat of condemnation, if your relationship with Jesus is a matter of intellect alone, a means to sound theological or win some sort of religious argument, if this passage only makes you feel morally superior to other people, then chances are you have fallen into empty religion and you have become blinded. But, but if you look at this list and you see yourself, if you see your own propensity to live for the adulation of others, if you see your own propensity towards hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another, if you look at these woes and realize just how blind you've become, then the truth is this, then Jesus is on the move in your life because he sees through it all and he knows our hearts as they truly are. If you don't see yourself in this list deserving of God's judgment, then know that you have become deceived. And so God calls us to do what? He calls us to examine our hearts, to take a true account of our souls, to stop focusing on other people's evil and instead take ownership for the evil that exists in our own hearts. But he also tells us this, to know that when we do those things, we also know that God is standing with open arms to welcome us in His grace. I have to say one thing parenthetically about all this before we're done, and that is this. If you are here and you are weighing the claims of Christ— If you haven't entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're weighing the claims of Christ, chances are you haven't followed Jesus because you've met a lot of Christians, a lot of hypocritical Christians. And you know what my answer to that is? Yes, guilty as charged. In fact, as a pastor, guess what I get to be in the church? I get to be the chief hypocrite of the church, right? Who says one thing and does another. And so we raise our hands and say, yes, we are guilty. We are sorry. But the power of the gospel is this, that fortunately, the strength of its message, of our message, the message of the gospel, isn't tied to our own personal righteousness and goodness. Instead, It is rooted in the very power of God in our midst. And that is good news. Let's pray.